whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. Morning, friends. This is Karen Pennington again. Have you ever seen uh, one of those things on, you know, the, the crazy entertainment channels like the true Hollywood story of, I don't know, Rock Hudson or one of those famous Hollywood people? You know, um, <laughs> I never try to see those things. I'm never like, why don't I get sucked into somebody's tragedy? But occasionally, particularly back in those days where we actually you know, watch cable television and be flipping through, there'd be nothing on, and then all of a sudden you'd see this engaging photo of something or another, and da-da-da, you know, the music, they really draw you in. I don't know too many people who are like, ooh, I want to watch that, but then you get, like, drawn into it, and you get drawn into the story, and there's something about compelling about the tragedy, and the next thing you know, you're seeing the story of the rise and fall of somebody from Hollywood or somebody famous. And um, and it's kind of heartbreaking. Why do we want to see heartbreaking stories? But we we see it, in it and the thing is, almost always it's, it's basically the same story. Here's a person, came from some sort of humble beginnings, had some sort of hard thing against them, and they rose to fame through hard work and through integrity and through remembering who they are. And then something happened, some tragedy happened, and they were torn down because they did something dumb, because they got caught in a life of drugs and sex and all of this. And it's like the same. Why do we know what's going to start and what's going to end? So they were humble. They rose to fame. They forgot who they were, and they fell. And they're still famous. But now they have money and they have fame, but they don't have joy because they can't enjoy the things they have because they're just so sad and so empty and they realize that fame has brought emptiness. And Well, first of all, it's funny that we like to watch this. Secondly, I'm just going to be honest. I still kind of want to be famous. There's something in me. I, I don't want to be a Hollywood true story, definitely. But there's something in me that... As many times as we hear this story that riches and fame, they don't bring joy. They don't bring fulfillment. Um, but you know, when they're not all messed up, sometimes having a little bit more money can be kind of fun. Sometimes having people know who you are can be kind of cool, you know? So I have to say, I, there's these two things inside me. <laughs> My heart is pulled in the two directions of the Hollywood true story. Part of me really kind of does want more people to know who I am. I definitely want to have enough money, you know, to pay off all debt because we do still have some debt and it kind of hangs over our heads. I, can't, I just don't like debt. And um, I would like to have a little bit of a nicer house. I don't need a mansion, you know, but something that doesn't have cracks in the doorways would be good. And uh, I'm a youngest child of five, so I have always adored being the center of attention. It's just never bugged me. If anything, you know, especially now that I'm, you know, older than childhood age, I, there's something in me that says I, 
I I have to really stay connected to God to know when not to talk, you know, because I kind of always want to talk, and I always want to, oh, look at me, you know, I, I always jump in, and, you know, as I'm in relationship with others, I've, I have to check myself constantly, it's like, you know, it's not all about me, it's somebody else's time to talk, it's God's time to talk, <laughs> hush, it's like a Holy Spirit hush that comes on me, and, but I would, I'd like to speak in front of crowds, I'd kind of like to do what Joyce Meyer and Priscilla Shire and Liz Curtis Higgs do um, may not do it as well as them. They're pretty refined. They're pretty honed. Um, but as much as I appreciate and I can be happy and be content in the humbleness of being a substitute teacher or of having an audience of five or ten or fifteen or even one, and I know that's important, there's parts of me that really would like to speak in front of the crowd and would like to make a little bit more money. And it I don't know that that's horrible, but um, also I think of these Hollywood stories where people thought this was what they wanted and they were great at first, but then they forgot who they were and they, they, they lost things. Like this thing that was kind of a nice idea became everything to them. And because of it, they lost everything that was important. And, you know, Hollywood is not the originator of this sad story. Uh, all you have to do is read the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you'll see stories of king after king after king after king who rose to power one way or another. Often they started off okay. Often, uh, not so much in the northern kingdom, the kingdom split, the northern kingdom of Israel. They were kind of horrible all through. There was a couple that start had a couple moments, but in that southern kingdom of Judah, which was the line of David, uh, they would start a lot of times great and they would have these moments of brilliance and they'd cry out to the Lord. And then as soon as they got what they wanted, they'd forget. And I mean, they lost their integrity. I'm reading the book of Judges right now. And over and over and over again, it flat out says God gave him deliverance and then they stopped following him. As soon as a certain person died, they stopped following him. And then they got to a bad place and they cried out and God would deliver him and they'd be at a piece of peace and prosperity and then they forgot and I mean it just seems like a total lack of integrity and so even as there are things that I want for my life I try to take warning from true Hollywood stories and the true Israelite stories of the Old Testament because I don't that while there are things in my life that I want what that I would enjoy there are things that I don't want to give up I don't want to give up my relationship with my husband I don't want to give up all the important relationships and heavens, I don't want to lose who I am in Christ. So I think of quote unquote, the famous people that I really, really respect that I really, um, I would want to emulate in some ways. Uh, in the Bible, I look at Joshua. He seemed to always maintain his integrity. And I look at Paul who, you know, started off kind of cruddy the way he treated Christians, but he allowed God to change him. And, um, there are some pastors, Jim Cimbala, Tony Evans, of course, everyone knows Billy Graham. And the defining characteristic of what seemed to keep them whole and seemed to empower their ministry and really uh, make them someone that could maintain, not that they didn't have issues, not that they didn't struggle, but they seemed to maintain their identity in Christ. They didn't waver in terms of their witness or their... Um, approachability or that sort of thing and and it seemed to be that they all had some a sense of humility so I'm going what so I want to stay humble I, 
I need to keep going back to the humble thing. Um, and I, it's occurred to me, the thing about humility, well, let's go back. They had integrity, integrity. And they both, they all had humility. They all have integrity. And those go hand in hand. You see, in my mind, I think in God's mind, integrity, that maintaining who you are rather than forgetting and being a true Hollywood story, that begins and ends with humility. And humility is not, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. Humility is not, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. Humility is understanding your place in light of God's grace. Um, so if you're saying you're horrible, you're not humble. You're just making fun of God's creation. That's blasphemous. Uh, if you're saying, who am I in light of God's grace? Without God, I'm nothing. And I recognize my place of authority. But I also recognize that my place of authority is through Christ. That's where I want to be. That's the sweet spot. That is what I really pray for every day. Because I now, now that I'm sort of a nobody and not a whole lot of people see me. And as I'm saying this, not a whole lot of people have seen my posts. Um, almost no one's read my book because it's not out yet. <laughs> it will be in a couple weeks. Right now, I, I know, God, if there's going to be success in my book, if there's going to be success in my soon-to-be blog or in my social media posts or all that, it's got to be you because I have tried this enough on my own and I know I can't do it. And I just need to stay there. So when there's, if God does grant me an ability to, you know, pay off all debts, be in a little bit nicer house, speak in front of crowds, I need to remember that it's God, you know, that it's God, you know, <laughs> it's God, it's God, it's God, and not look at what I've done, but look at what God has done for me. Look at what I get to be part of. Look at who I was. Look at who I am without God. I just never want to forget that. Fortunately, I have people in my life who will tell me if I'm messing up, <laughs> and it's, I appreciate that, and um, so I'm thinking of all these people in the Bible. I'm like, so I know, God, what does your word say about this? And so I'm thinking about the example of Moses, who was brought down a lot of pegs, spent a lot of time in the desert, and then led the children of Israel through the desert. And how he had reached a humility. And I think about Paul, who, you know, was killing whole families and thinking about what a great Jew he was. But then he was brought to humility. And so he has that great impact that he had in talking about how he preached Christ and how his God's power is made perfect in his weakness, not in his strength. And... Then I think of David, one of the most famous kings in history. Possibly his son Solomon was more famous than him. Possibly. But David did have the Star of David. He was the established line through which Jesus Christ came. He had a pretty good amount of significance. He also had a pretty good amount of humility and integrity. And in that, you know, there's something about living in caves and running for your life that I would think would inspire a little bit of humility in people. And he was humble enough and he had enough integrity that even as Saul, the king, before David rose, tried to kill him, he would not kill Saul. I mean, it made sense to save his own life to kill Saul. But what he said is, I know my place. It's not my place to kill God's anointed. And he could say that even as Saul spent, you know, 10 years going after his life. He could sit there and play the harp to calm Saul's spirit, knowing that Saul might throw a spear at his head before he was, you know, totally cast out of the kingdom. So there was a lot of integrity there. There's a lot of humility there. 
until there wasn't. And what my mind comes to is that one time, and I'm sure there were more, but the, the time in the Bible where he made his really, really big mess up, where his lack of integrity just, it was like this huge rift, and it started, this is Second Samuel 11, it started with adultery, you know, peeping Tom, looking at someone else's wife while he was standing on a rooftop and she was in the privacy of her own, her own area. Um, and then he had to have her. He had to have her. So he had her brought to him. And if we're going to interpret this in modern days, she had no choice. This was not a consensual thing. This was the king wants to do something. You have no choice. And it said that she even purified herself. Well, so then he got her pregnant, and so he tried to lie again. Are we going to talk about total lack of integrity? I'm not even going to fess up to this. I'm the king. I need to be told that I'm great. And he, so he tries to get her husband drunk and brought home for more so that it will seem like her husband impregnated her. Well, when Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, had so much integrity that he said, I can't do this with my wife while all of my fellow soldiers are out there risking their life. I can't do it. Tried a couple times. He said, I can't. Um, I can't. Even even Uriah that had been inebriated, who got drunk, he wouldn't do it because he's like, this is not who I am. This is not who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be fighting for the army of God right there. And So what was his reward? Well, it had to be an eternal reward in heaven because David had him killed um but he did it really sneaky he sent the army into a war that he knew little battle that he knew the army was going to lose he knew he was going to lose the war but in knowing that he knew people on the front lines will probably die too so he sent one of his mighty men uriah was one of the 30 mighty men he was one of the top soldiers in david's army he sent him this valued soldier to the front in a war that he knew he would lose just so uriah his valued soldier with integrity could die and David could take Bathsheba. Whew. So we're talking about lust, adultery. Uh, by today's standards, it would be rape. They wouldn't call it that back then. But let's be honest, telling somebody you have to sleep with me and that's it. You have no choice. Uh, he had, <laughs> this is God's, the guy after God's own heart. How did that, heaven and then mass murder really because Uriah wouldn't have been the only one that died and then a cover-up conspiracy how did it start and this is the part that people forget the very beginning of the chapter in the spring at the time when kings go off to war David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army they destroyed Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. 11.1. So at the time when kings go out to war, who was David? He was a king. He stayed back. He forgot who he was. He forgot, I have this authority and I have this power that Christ has given to me. But, well, God, God gave it to me. But it wasn't so he could stay home and, you know, be a peeping Tom. You know? It was so that he could go and fight for God's people. It was so that he could gain victory and honor for God. It was so he could protect the people that God had put under him. He forgot that. 
how easy it would be. And why did he stay home? My guess is because he didn't want to go. How quickly he fell from such a simple thing. And I'm, I'm convicted about this. You know, there are times where I know I want to go. I'm supposed to go somewhere. Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's prayer meeting. Maybe it's to help somebody that I know needs to be helped. And honestly, I just don't want to. And God had given me the authority and the power to speak life. And I have time and I've rested. I just want to do something else. And there are times when I'm supposed to go to a place of forgiveness. There are times when I'm supposed to go and confess my sins. And I just don't want to. You know? And I gotta be mindful of that. I'm not saying you should do everything all the time, but there are times when you know this is what I'm supposed to do. And that that rift in our integrity starts so easily with the little things that we just go, eh. Joab, he was a really great commander. Joab can handle it, God. You don't need me there. It's not the point. You know? There are a lot of good people at my church. They can handle that thing. It's not the point. See, when we're humble, that means we're being honest with ourselves and before God and others about who we really are and what our role is. And we're honest about it. When we say, I know I belong there, I know I belong here. And when we really believe it, we go there. And then we stay within the will of God, and then we stay within a certain amount of protection. Not that Satan won't come against us, but he really can't touch the things that matter. He, this wall of integrity, this shield of righteousness, this breastplate, I'm sorry, this breastplate of righteousness that's guarding our hearts. Fortunately, David had a friend. And I would say a friend who was brave enough to tell him, you really messed up. You really messed up. Um, Nathan, who was a prophet. Now, mind you, talking bad to the king <laughs> could get you killed. So Nathan went and he was shrewd and he told a little story, a little parable about somebody who had, whose sheep had been taken away by somebody who had lots of sheep. And, of course, David had lots of wives and concubines. And David got very indignant and ultimately realized, you are that man. You are that man. <laughs> He realized his hypocrisy that he would get so mad at somebody else that committed injustice, but he didn't see it in himself. And that was probably the greatest gift that anyone but God himself could have given him. A chance to look back at himself and see who he was and to be honest of who he was before God. And out of that came one of the most beautiful Psalms, Psalm 51. A psalm of humility. And you know, today for my prayer, I think I'd just like to pray this prayer. I get angry about what David did. I get angry at his abuse of a woman, of his womanizing. I get angry about his lying, about his misuse of power. And I realize I'm just one step away from being that. And Lord, I want you to guard my integrity me to always remember. I know I'm going to make those mistakes. Help me to always remember who I am in you. And Psalm 51. 
mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, because I do have sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Lord, make me aware of my transgressions so I can lay them at your feet and then leave them there. Not to be pulled down by guilt, but not to return to my own vomit either. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. Before I was even born, I was messing up, God. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Lord, help us to stay in that secret place so that we don't forget. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow because we can always come back to you, God. Thank you, Jesus, just like Jesus, just like David did. Create in me, this is my prayer, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I don't want to lose you in the pursuit of the world, God. I don't want to lose my integrity and my relationship and my identity in you at the cost of any kind of money or fame or good name. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to, dis to sustain me. Lord, may I never lose the joy of your salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Lord Jesus, May my heart break for the things that your heart breaks for. May our hearts break for the ways that we have broken your heart, Lord Jesus. May we, may we never remember how far we've fallen. Not as a guilt, but in gratitude and conviction of how great you are and how far you've brought us. And who you are, God. We want to do great things for you. We want to make your name famous. We want to have a significant contribution, whether an audience of one or a million. But we know you're always our audience of one. That's most important, God. Teach our hearts to remember who we are, to go where you call us, and to live according to your blueprint for our lives because you're the great architect and your way is what's best for us. We acknowledge that we sometimes think what's best for us. We know what's best for us. But you're always what's best. And because we want what's best, we want you, God. In your name. Amen. Be blessed, my friends.